Now, one of the uh, great joys of uh, grandparenting is that you rediscover children's storybooks, uh, timeless old favourites that you read to your own children, um, and new ones that have been uh, written in the intervening years. And one book that Judith uh, and I bought a while back, and that is a favourite on Friday night Zoom story time with our grandchildren, is The Worrysaurus. I'll just show you, because I don't want you wondering what a worrysaurus looks like instead of listening to the talk. But this is the worrysaurus, and he looks a really worried chappy, doesn't he? Well, the worrysaurus, it's a story where he sets off uh, on a picnic. It's a beautiful sunny day. He's feeling happy, but he soon starts worrying. Worrying about whether or not he's uh, got all his preparations for the day right. Well, on his way, he meets a lizard. And there still isn't a cloud in the sky, but the lizard tells him he thinks a storm's coming. Well, this puts poor old Worrysaurus into a real spin. And um, his heart's troubled. He's full of worry about what he hasn't done in insofar as preparing for a, a wet day is concerned. And he's overwhelmed with his worry. Now, in our Christian life and walk, we can be a bit like Worrysaurus. And instead of basking in the sunshine of, of God's love and forgiveness and acceptance, our minds and hearts are, are troubled and full of worry about what we, what we haven't done insofar as pleasing God and keeping his commandments is concerned. And we torment and we accuse ourselves for the inadequacy of our progress in our Christian lives. And we start to doubt our faith, and we lose our assurance of our salvation. Now, in the book, it does get better for Worrysaurus. And if you're a Christian Worrysaurus this morning, I, I hope and pray that as we look at this passage from 1 John, it, it will get better for you too. Now, Chris, when he, when he titled this series in 1 John that we began some months ago, he, he titled it Confident Faith. Surely that's the desire of every Christian, isn't it? Your desire, mine, to have a confident faith. And the purpose of John writing this letter, uh, we know, is to assure believers of their faith, their acceptance by God. And the verses that we're particularly looking at this morning, 19 to 24, uh, Chris headed in his preaching plan, the confidence of no condemnation. And I'd like to suggest that we find in these verses uh, we're looking at this morning, bound up in this confidence of no condemnation, no condemnation that's the Christians, we find two confidences, and they're these. We find confidence for a condemning heart, confidence for a condemning heart, and we also find the confidence of a non-condemning heart, these two confidences. Now, just recapping a little bit, in the preceding chapters, John has been setting out checks whereby we can discern who is in the faith, who is a true Christian and who is not. And he makes very clear, bold statements. So just run through a quick guide of some of those. Chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 5, chapter 2. By this we may know that we're in him. Walk in the same way which he walked. Verse 29, chapter 2. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, born of God. Chapter 3, verse 10. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God. Practice righteousness and love the brothers. And finally, we know that we've passed out of death to life, verse 14, chapter 3, because we love the brothers. And we come in our passage this morning, verse 19, to read this. We come to another, by this we shall know, statement. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Now when Steve concluded his message last Sunday morning, verse 18, he concluded uh, with an exhortation exhortation for action with respect to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when John writes now in the next verse, by this then we shall know, we have to ask ourselves, is he referring back to this, this what we were talking about last week, or is it something new? After all, all the other checks I've just read are all about life and practice. So it would be reasonable to think this is a continuation in that vein, in that thought. Well, the answer to that is no, because John in this passage is about to shift focus. John is wanting to ensure that his readers and that we find assurance of our faith in the best place and on the surest foundation possible. He's only too aware that all Christians, albeit saved by the grace of God for all eternity, are in this life still flawed. And those flaws, we know, they can be so uh, debilitating to our spiritual health and, and well-being. Remember, earlier on in this series, Chris emphasised very clearly there is no such thing as a sinful Christian, but also there's no such thing as a sinless Christian. And we've seen in the earlier chapters the cyclical nature of John's teaching as he addressed the life and practice that are indicators of our faith. The not sinning, the pleasing God, the keeping his commandments, the loving each other, the abiding in Jesus, all of these things. And and as we hold our lives up to the scrutiny of these checks, too often we have to conclude uh, not sinning, fail. Pleasing God, fail. Keeping his commandments as we all fail. Loving each other as Jesus would have us love one another, fail. Abiding, holding Jesus, fail. And in spite of everything that John has said for our encouragement to assure us in our faith, all the by this we know, by this it is evident statements, we, we nevertheless find ourselves at times doubting our faith and our acceptance by God. Now it's been both said and written that doubting is a problem for all of God's people some of the time. And sadly, to some of God's people, most of the time. Days come when our hearts condemn us, says John in verse 20. What do we understand by our hearts? Well, here I believe John is meaning our our consciences. We all understand what we mean when we say we have a guilty uh, conscience. Our inner person is telling us in no uncertain terms that we've messed up failed in what is required of us and in the courtroom of our conscience we're judged guilty. The verdict's in no doubt and we stand condemned men and women. But what John is about to say in his letter now 
is to help us whenever our hearts condemn us. Some translations use the words if our heart condemns us. Well, I'll just say, there isn't any improbability about this. There's no, there's no if. Um, whenever there's a better rendering, that inner condemnation, um, it's coming, no exceptions. That voice of conscience is going to pop up uh, in, in your mind with, with all degrees of uh, regularity. But John says there is a test by which we shall know we're of the truth. And more than that, it's going to put doubt to rest. It's going to reassure our hearts. It's going to persuade our hearts. The NIV puts it this way. It's going to set our hearts at rest. Troubled hearts, troubled minds, all that inner storm and turmoil, just like worry sores. Calm, and to use the words of Jesus when he calmed the storm, uh, we can say to our heart, peace, be still. So how is it then that we reassure our hearts, that we can say to them, peace, be still? Well, for our comfort and confidence, John shifts the focus from what's to be seen in our lives, from self-focus to focus on God. And so we come to look at what is the confidence for the condemning heart. And I think we have two, uh, two things we can see here from these verses. Uh, the confidence for a condemning heart is first, it's in, in God, who is a greater being than ourselves, and it's in God, who has a greater knowledge than ourselves. Verse 20, we read. For whenever our heart condemns us, God. Don't you just love to hear the uh, the but God verses in the Bible? The words that follow those but God statements, they reassure us of God's involvement in our lives, uh, in the lives of those who, who love him. And let me just read one, because even when we didn't, God was involved in our lives. Come back with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. When we were there, it was then that God, we read, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We see the gracious, compassionate intervention of God. And we can look to no one higher, no one more powerful, no one greater. God who formed you in your mother's womb, God who knew you before you were born, who knows you fully now, God who took away your hard, stony heart and gave you a heart of flesh, the prophet says. God who gave you the power to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. The God who has put his Spirit in you. Whenever our hearts condemn us, we come to this God. It's this God, my God, your God, 
Who says John is greater than our heart, greater than your heart, greater than my heart? Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. You see, it's not about standing in the courtroom of our conscience, but standing in God's courtroom. He's the judge, and God does not condemn us. God is greater than your and my condemning heart. And how is that? Well, we know, don't we? But it's because he sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he, that is God, condemned sin in the flesh through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is the one who's made an end of all my sin and all your sin. The condemnation that should have been yours has fallen on Jesus. And there is, says Paul, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And we sing, don't we? For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. But our confidence, the confidence for our condemning heart, it isn't just in fact that God is greater than ourselves, but it's also in fact that God has a greater knowledge than us. Verse 20, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, Oh, the depth, the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. But it isn't just that God sees and knows all things insofar as this world and everything in it is concerned. God knows our hearts. He knows our failings better than we know them ourselves. And when your condemnatory heart was tallying up all your faults and failings, God knew the ones you'd missed. So if anyone should and could condemn us, he could. But he doesn't. God knows our strivings. He knows the desire that's in your heart and mind to, to keep his commandments, to do what pleases him, and to follow in the steps of our Saviour Jesus. The desire to become more righteous and to abide in him more and more, all of these, these checks that John was talking about earlier, and to love one another better than we do. And the same God who knew Israel's heart and who said of them, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He knows your heart and mine. He knows your groans, your tears, your yearning to abide in him more and more. And as we've noted earlier, it's not that we are without sin, but it's about our attitude and our mindset towards it. But more than that, more than that, God knows our hearts, for he sees our hearts. When God sees our hearts, what does he see? God does not see a sinful heart. He sees a heart washed clean by the blood of his son, Jesus. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God has cleansed our hearts. That's what God sees. So, how are we to settle our hearts? Because this is what John says, this is how we settle our hearts when they condemn us. Well, 
And how do we have that confidence of knowing we're in the truth? We hold fast to what God has said and we stop looking at ourselves. The, the last song we sang from the breaking of the dawn was a, a great reminder in lots of those verses of, of how we remind ourselves of what God has said and what God has done. When we were looking at the uh, end of chapter 2 of, of 1 John and thinking about the Antichrist and how we, we knew who was an Antichrist and who was in Christ, this is what John wrote. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. The Antichrist, he's the one who denies the Father and the Son. But no one who denies the Son has the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You know, don't you, that if you have confessed that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is your Saviour, Jesus is the one who's come in the flesh and has died for your sins. And Paul reminds the Corinthians of that. He says, no one can say those things. I want you to understand, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that God has given you, put in you. And then we have those lovely promises earlier on in John, reminding us of how we come before God when we're troubled by our sins. If we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if anyone does sin, says John, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's turned away God's wrath and anger. And we stand uh, uncondemned before God. We haven't sung this lovely song this morning, but uh, before the throne of God above we sing. And in that song we sing, we have a strong and a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives, and pleads for me. And my name is written on his hands, and my name is hidden in his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no power can force me to depart. What assurance there is in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his finished work, and to know that our name is always before him. So, is your heart, is your conscience condemning you today. Is that you? Then stop looking at yourself and look up to God. The God who's cleansed your heart, who frees you from guilt, who declares you not guilty, who pardoned your sin because Jesus has stood in your place. But the confidence, um, the confidence of no condemnation, so it's not just that it's a confidence for the condemning heart, it gives confidence too. Because it is the confidence of a non-condemning heart. Look at verse 21. John writes this. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our heart does not condemn us, well, how can our heart condemn us when Jesus, our risen Saviour, fills our minds and our hearts' affections? And when we stop basing our assurance on our subjective feelings and grounded in God's truth and in his love and in his work, in his work in us, our hearts will be set at rest. 
For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. What rest that gives us to our troubled minds. Jesus died and bore the punishment for our sin. All our sin of every kind was laid on him. And if God does not condemn you and me, my heart has no place. Your heart has no place in condemning you. And in addition to that, we're able to see that our, our belief in him and our love for him, our obedience and our love for the brothers, however imperfect, these things are irrefutable evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We wouldn't be able to do them without God abiding in us. We're still working progress, aren't we? And the acknowledgement of the imperfections and of our I'm yearning to be more Christ-like, that shouldn't destroy our assurance that we're God's children, but rather confirm it all the more. And God knows everything. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 21. And this is more than a confidence in, in God's saving work in our lives. It's a, it's a confidence in his presence. We have confidence before God. And I believe it's, it's for both now, the here and now, and for that day of judgment. At the end of chapter 2, in verse, verse 28, John wrote about abiding in God's love and, and about it giving us confidence at the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And further on in his letter, when we get to it, in chapter 4, verse 17, we're going to read that again, that we'll stand before God on the day of judgment with confidence. Because we stand clothed in a righteousness that's not our own. Not our own doing, it's that given to us by Jesus. Clothed in a righteousness divine, we say. And we'll stand in the confidence of no condemnation because of Jesus. Now, I believe John is very much referring to to a confidence that's ours every day, to come before God in prayer with our petitions to him. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews writes this in chapter 10. He speaks of the believer having a confidence before God, a confidence of being, uh, being before the, the resurrected Lord Jesus and a confidence in the resurrected Lord Jesus. He says, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. Our hope and our confidence is founded in Jesus and in the faithfulness of God, not our own performance. As we come before God with a confidence, what are we confident about? We're confident of blessing. The confidence of a condemning harm to confidence before God and we have confidence of blessing. This is what John writes in verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Isn't that amazing? But this is what Jesus himself said when he was on earth, wasn't it? That whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And how much more will our Heavenly Father give us good gifts to those who, who ask him. Now, we all know, don't we, this, this isn't about God fulfilling every temporal dream, wish, desire of ours. 
but it's all bound up in our abiding in God, our, our closeness to God, and his spirit in us, prompting us to ask what God would have us ask of him. It's as if when we come to pray, we know God's mind. It comes about because of the closeness to God. And how does that closeness to God come about? Well, John goes on to say that we ask, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we do his commandments. Well, sorry, we keep his commandments and, and do what pleases him. That's how our closeness to God develops. And what do we see here? Well, we've come full circle. We're back, as it were, to those characteristics that define us as children of God. Those practices that clearly show that we're in Christ, that we're in the faith. And as if we didn't know already, John repeats again what he's iterated many times already in this letter, that we should believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in so doing, testify that he's come in the flesh, and we should love one another. Keeping his commandments, doing what pleases him, believing in Jesus, loving one another. This path of obedience is a path, a path of, of blessing. Not as a reward, but simply because God is God. This is what God delights to do. So as you hear those words again about keeping the commandments and pleasing him, rise above the challenge of your imperfect obedience and press on in the confidence of no condemnation. And I think the, the non-condemning heart also has this confidence. It has the confidence of the Holy Spirit in it, in your person. Says Paul to the Romans, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We press on in our Christian lives, sustained, helped, equipped, for every day, because God is abiding in us, and we are abiding in him. That's what John says in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. We delight to please those we love, don't we? And when you're all taken up with Jesus, surely your heart, my heart, will be set at rest by this confidence of no condemnation. And it follows on that we'll find ourselves walking closer to him and keeping his commandments and doing what pleases him. And how do we know that God abides in us? What John tells us is by the Spirit whom he has given us. End of verse 24. Think back, if you're a Christian this morning, think back to that day when you first believed. When you first believed that Jesus Christ was God's Son come in the flesh, come into the world to live the life you couldn't live and die for your sins, that you would not be condemned. To rise again, that you might have eternal life. That was only possible, that belief, because God put his Spirit in you. And says Paul to the Romans, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so John confidently says, in the confidence of no condemnation, 
by this we know that he abides in us. God abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Well, in concluding, thinking about this confidence of no condemnation, it addresses both our condemnatory heart and the non-condemnatory heart. And if you're in that good place this morning of an assured heart, a heart that does not condemn, and you have confidence before God, thank God for that blessing that's yours. Bask in the sunshine of God's love. But be prepared. Be prepared. Be watchful. It does not mean that you won't ever again be in the place of having a condemnatory heart. But if your heart is a condemnatory heart this morning, reminding you of all your faults and imperfections, if it's Satan's voice behind it, tempting you to despair and telling you of the guilt within, hold fast to this glorious declaration of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. glory, where you will be presented faultless before his throne, with exceeding joy. Your eternal salvation, my eternal salvation, is not about my own perfection and righteousness in this life. It's about Christ. It's all about Him. And so we can say, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns. Till Jesus returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. So Christian, let me say this morning, don't be a Christian worry sorrows. If your heart condemns you, this is how you set your heart at rest. God is greater than your heart. He knows everything and he has done everything. Amen. Amen.